you want to take your Bible, I invite you to do so and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 4. If you've been following the reading guide for reading through the New Testament in this year, you've just read this story. It's one of the great stories of God's power and Christ's interest in us as His followers. The world's problems are so overwhelming that if Moses had lived today and come off of Mount Sinai, the two tablets he would have brought would have been Valium. I mean, we live in a tough time, do we? Not? It's a hard time in which we live. Lots of problems. Somebody probably came here this morning drowning in a sea of problems. Well, you're not alone in the history of God's dealing with His people. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 and following, we read the story of Jesus and His apostles. There were 13 men in a boat, Jesus being the leading figure in the boat. And let's read about what happened to them one evening on the Sea of Galilee. Verse 35 Mark chapter 4, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? God does have a cure for your problems. And we see in this statement of Scripture that the wrong way to respond to problems is to panic. These men, four of whom had made their living on the Sea of Galilee, found themselves caught up in what the NIV translates as a furious squall. A terrible, ferocious storm had broken out over the Sea of Galilee. Now, this happened because of the geographical location of the lake or the Sea of Galilee. On the north, there's a high mountain range culminating in Mount Hermon, which is about 12,000 feet above sea level. That's high, isn't it? And then down in the valley where the sea is located, it's actually below sea level. And what happened, and what happened suddenly without any warning, the winds from the upper climbs of that mountain would come hurling themselves down through ravines. And those ravines served like wind tunnels. And then that wind would burst on the Sea of Galilee in an avalanche of great power. That's what happened in the lives of these men. Unexpectedly, suddenly, this happened. It was very disturbing to them, and understandably so. And we know they panicked because of the way in which Jesus addresses them. In verse 40, he asks the question, Why are you so afraid? The word which he chose for afraid is not the normal word which is used to describe fear. 
The kind of fear that he mentions is great fear. They were greatly fearful. They were like little children cowering in the face of this natural catastrophe. And they were overwhelmed, understandably so. Sometimes we have those kind of events in our lives. They come upon us suddenly, out of the blue. We have no forewarning. Perhaps you've had an experience where a loved one dies just like that in the picture of health, either through accident or some latent illness that you and they were not aware of. Perhaps you've had that, and you know what it feels like to have that kind of thing happen to you. And perhaps you've had the person whom you love most in the world come to you and say, I don't love you anymore. And it hits you like a ton of bricks. Or maybe your boss calls you in and you think everything's going great in your career. You know of nothing that would cause you to hear these words, you're fired. That hits hard too, doesn't it? When we have those kinds of experiences. Or if you're a student, we have several students here today, and you flunk a class you must have in order to go forward. And in so failing that class, the result is your whole future seems to be in jeopardy. Some of you have had that experience. It's a hard-hitting kind of experience, isn't it? It's a huge problem. Just like these people we're talking about today encountered a huge problem. Well, those are some of the scenarios. There are many others which are equally, if not more, overwhelming than the ones which I've mentioned. But when we look at these men, we can identify with them in that regard because of the storm which came up and confronted them. Now, look at the way in which they responded to this problem. They responded in a way that certainly did them no favor. Because what their response was, was to really accuse Jesus of a lack of concern. Look at verse 38. It says, Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. These boats would have had one cushion, and it was reserved either for the one who is steering the boat or rowing the boat, or for the person of honor. Jesus was in that position in the stern, and he undoubtedly had his head laying on that cushion or that pillow. And he was sound asleep. And look at what they say to the Lord in this situation. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They thought Jesus didn't care, and it angered them. It made them mad. Is it possible that you find yourself today mad at the Lord because He has not intervened to solve the problem in which you find yourself? If so, you can identify with these men. But their problem was that they misread the situation. We know the Bible says about the Lord, cast your cares on Him because He cares for us. One of the things that we know above all other things about our Lord is He definitely cares for us. And remember, Jesus was in the same situation in which they found themselves. He was in the boat. And He had a whole different perspective on what was happening. Despite the fact that those waters were coming over the edge of the boat and were splashing Him 
too. But here we see him asleep in the boat. Had Jesus not commanded them to get into the boat? Look at verse 35 again. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, which probably means that he had been teaching from the boat. That was his custom along the Sea of Galilee. The crowds were so large that he would borrow a boat, sit in the boat, and then he would teach from the boat. And they didn't even bother to take him ashore after he finished teaching. He told them, look, we're going to the other side, six miles across here. We need to get away from these heavy crowds. We've got other people to teach the gospel to. Let's go. And they didn't delay. They obeyed immediately. The Bible says that we are disobedient if we don't obey immediately. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And these men were on it right in this situation. They were obeying Jesus. And other boats were with them. We don't know anything about the inhabitants of the other boats. They were interested in Jesus, I'm sure. They wanted to be where he was because he had spent the day teaching them and they were amazed at what he had taught them. They wanted to be around Jesus. One wonders what their response was at the same time as these apostles. Probably no different. And this great storm arose. Jesus had commanded them and they had obeyed. And they probably had the same viewpoint that you and I have had from time to time. Maybe you still have it today. Their viewpoint was, if I obey the Lord, the Lord is indebted to me to make things go well for me. Do you ever think like that? Well, be sure, if we're in the will of the Lord, things will go better. But it is not to be thought that we're going to have a perfect life when we come to know the Lord. The Lord didn't promise us that. We look at His own life. Did He have a rose garden for life when He walked on the earth? He had a Gethsemane to deal with. And we too, when we follow Christ, we're not going to have a perfect life. We're going to have troubles. Jesus promised that. And we see it in the lives of these apostles. So they didn't understand properly who Jesus was. Jesus uses this moment very purposefully, very creatively, because in this moment, he pulls the curtain back a little further for these men so they can see who he really is. To this point, and by this time, these men had begun to see that Jesus was the Messiah. That was something they believed about Jesus by this time, I would suggest. However, they didn't know he was God yet. And look what the Scripture says about their response. Jesus says in verse 40, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. Now, let me stop here before I forget this. They're safe now, right? The sea is calm now. But they're filled with even greater fear than they had when they thought they were going to drown. What caused that fear? This is what caused that fear. They came to the conclusion that this man was not merely a man. He was more than a man. They said to one another, who then is this? And in Matthew's description of this, in chapter 8 of Matthew, the 
question is raised, what kind of man is this? He's no ordinary man. They knew in their hearts that this man was probably God. They were probably a bit fearful to say it for fear that they would blaspheme calling a human being God. But if they had really studied the Word of God maybe more carefully in the Old Testament, they would know that that the Messiah was going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And He revealed Himself to them. Do you know what storms in your life are designed for? They're designed from God's point of view to reveal Him to you more. And to understand that the Lord is the Lord of the storms too. We sang a song, I can't remember which one, but it says, Through every storm and fiery test you reign or He reigns. It fits perfectly with this text of Scripture because that is true. And they began to recognize the Lord as being who He was. He was not only a man, but He was also God. So, God's cure for our problems is not to panic, which is our normal reaction. We're not to become angry at the Lord Jesus Christ for His apparent disinterest or His inability or any kind of other accusation we might raise against Him. These men disturbed Jesus. He was in a sleep that was really sweet to Him, I would imagine, because He had worked so hard during the day. And they disturbed Him. Let me ask you, do you ever disturb Jesus? Do you? Well, when we misread Jesus, and we accuse Him of not having interest in us, We disturb him. It made Jesus upset, quite frankly. And we can upset Jesus. Something we should not want to do. Well, how is it that God's cure comes to bear in our lives? Well, it all boils down to our putting our faith in him, doesn't it? You still have no faith, he said to them. It was their absence of faith that created this scenario where they really didn't believe what the Lord had promised them, that He would take care of them. Jesus is the picture of serenity in this story. Although His circumstances were just the same as the disciples. As we think about His sleep, there are two things which come to my mind. One is the fact, and I've already touched on this, so I'm not going to say more than this. It was a sleep of fatigue. He was tired. But it was also a sleep of faith. He was resting. He was able to go through that storm the way he did. For one reason, he trusted in the Father. He knew his hour had not yet come. The Lord was not done with him. It was not time for him to die for our sins. There was still more work to be done. And what we need to realize is until the Lord finishes with us... Our work is still out there before us, and God's going to let you and me live until He has fulfilled His purpose through us for our generation. The Bible talks about David in Acts 13.36, and it says this, The Lord's purpose was fulfilled through David, and then he fell asleep. We can trust in the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus living in these men at this time? Not yet. He was living 
with them, but not in them. Now think about the advantage we have over these men. Does Jesus live with us? Well, yes. The Bible says in more than one place about Jesus, the Lord is near. But more importantly than that, He lives in us. If we know Jesus, He lives in us by His Spirit. And what that means to you and me is that He has given His peace to us, not as some sort of abstract concept. The peace that is His is ours. Why? Because He has come to indwell us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's His peace which is available to you and me. That's what empowers us to rise above viewing life from the, per, from the position of circumstance and realizing that we have a Lord who is the Lord of our circumstances. And He is not ignorant of what's going on in your life when you're suffering some sort of problem. He's not absent. He's present, not just with you. He's present in you. And let me take this one step further. The Apostle Paul testifies to this truth in the book of Galatians 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ, listen carefully, lives where? In me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, or the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, is the way the modern translations translate it. And I beg to differ with that interpretation. Here's why. The grammatical construction is that which would be most accurately translated, the faith of the Son of God. So not only do we have the peace of God indwelling us. Why? Because the Prince of Peace Himself lives in us. But we also have the very faith of the Son of God indwelling us as well. That's powerful. So we have what we need in terms of the faith and the peace to overcome those very unsettling situations in which we find ourselves. Because that's what the Lord has provided for such circumstances. He has provided Himself. And this is the Christian life, by the way. The Christian life is Jesus Christ indwelling us who have trusted Him with our lives, we've exchanged our sin for His perfection and His life, and He has come to dwell in us. This is a miracle beyond imagination. But it is the truth. And those of us who receive Christ, we understand this. And we have a leg up on these men. We have the Spirit of God living in us. They didn't have that yet. Jesus was with them. And I would have loved to have been with Him. Maybe not in this circumstance, but I would have loved to have been with Him, wouldn't you? To walk with Him in the flesh when He was walking in His humanity here on earth. But be sure that Jesus Christ is with us just as surely as He was with them, but He lives in us. And He's the one that we need to cry out to in these moments of trouble. And say, Lord, You know my fear. You know my mode of panic. Oh Lord, please, please give me your peace. May it become the dominating force in my life. More importantly, Lord, may you become the one who is the dominant figure in my life. Lord, I want to keep my eyes on you in the middle of this 
ferocious storm in which I find myself. Because I believe, Lord, that You rule over the sea when it rages. And You speak to the waves. And You say to the waves, Peace, be still. And they obey You, Lord. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've had situations which were anything but restful. They were very restless situations. And as you trusted in the Lord, He empowered you to have a peace that was beyond understanding and description. Well, Jesus' sleep was the sleep of faith and rest. We read from the book of Acts and the book of John about Peter. And we read how the Scripture says that when Jesus appeared to Peter on the Sea of Galilee and he was giving him instructions about what he was to do, he told him to feed the sheep. He was going to be a pastor to the people, as it were. And then he made some comments to Peter and Peter turned and looked at John, who was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Peter was having a little surge of jealousy here. He says, what about him? And Jesus said, don't worry about him, Peter. He said, listen for a moment, please, Peter. He didn't say please, he just said listen. And this is what he said to Peter. He said, you, before you die, you're going to have come to the place in your life where people have to dress you. Which probably means he was going to be old when he died. Right? Somebody's going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. And by tradition, we know that he was crucified So that would not be a place anybody would be volunteering for, right? But then in the book of Acts chapter 12, we read the story about how Herod took off the head of James, one of the apostles. He saw how much it pleased the people. So he thought, I'm going to arrest the ringleader if I can find him, Peter. He got Peter arrested. Peter's in jail. It's the middle of the night. The next, that night, he's going to take his head off. And Peter probably suspects that could happen sometime. And what is Peter doing? Is he fidgeting? I'd be worried to death probably if it were I. But he's not doing that. What's he doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping the sleep of faith, isn't he? Why? Because he was still a young man. He believed what Jesus had told him. That he would have to be led away to the place of his death. And he knew he was still able to dress himself. Boy, I bet he was glad, don't you? I'm glad I can still dress myself. Because he knew God wasn't finished with him yet. Now, we don't always have that kind of insight. But what we do know is that the Lord is not simply with us. He's in us. What's interesting about Peter, when the angel of the Lord shows up in the jail cell, there's this bright light emanating from the angel of the Lord. That doesn't even wake him up. He was in a deep sleep, was he? And he has to come over, the angel does, and... Hit him to get him to wake up. Wow. That's, that's a, a sleep of faith, isn't it? Jesus knew his heavenly Father. He knew that he was Jehovah Shalom. Do you know where that name comes from? Do you know what it means? It means the Lord who is peace. And it first surfaces in the book of Judges, chapter 6. There's a man named Gideon who is cowardly. And he'd been given this assignment from the Lord, and it sounded like a monumental task. He didn't think he was up to it. And he asked the Lord, would you confirm this for me, Lord? And twice the Lord confirmed him. 
confirmed it to him through a fleece he lay out there and there was dew on it one time and everything around it was dry the next time there was no dew on it. You know, the same kind of deal. Twice it happened. And then the Lord spoke to him. He said, peace be to you. Do not fear. You will not die. And then he came out of this vision and he said, it is the Lord. And he built an altar to the Lord and he named it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. He understood it and he trusted and his faith grew. Do you know the Lord as your peace? And then there's another name for God that's appropriate at this point. Jehovah Shema. This is a name God gives to himself, which means the Lord is there, which means he's everywhere with us. Even though he may seem absent at times, he's everywhere with us. He is in the middle of my trouble and your trouble. So we too can have peace like Peter had, like Gideon came to have, because Christ says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So we can find this peace by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And watch Him work. He's the Lord of everything. The Lord of creation. We've already seen that. Sometimes we find peace in our lives when we realize the Lord may be disciplining us through our trouble. Jesus disciplines us. The Bible says those whom Jesus loves, He disciplines. It's a function of His love. Think what a life would be like in this world. Your life or my life, if we had not had an earthly parent to discipline us. Think about that. To teach us right from wrong. And to help us to stay within the rails by the discipline they exercised in our lives. It was a function of the love of Christ to let these men find themselves in this situation. And it's the function of the love of God in our lives to do the same for us as we're disciplined. Let me ask you to turn to the book of Psalms and look at chapter 50 for a moment. The 50th Psalm. And I was reading this yesterday in my Bible reading time. And these verses had never registered with me that I recall, at least, in terms of their application to my life. Verses 14 and 15 of Psalm 50. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me, that's God speaking, in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Now, what we see here is the kind of sacrifice which the Lord is interested in is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And prior to this, God has been saying, in effect, all your sacrifices are of no value. The thing that really matters is a sacrifice of thanksgiving to me. And you put this in conjunction with what we've read earlier in the life of Jesus and His people and some of the associated places where we have gone. What we discover is the Lord is trying to teach us this hard yet necessary lesson of Thanking Him regardless of the circumstances in our lives. Because He is a sovereign Lord. 
And he has allowed things to happen to us, even the so-called bad things which happen to us. He's allowed those things to happen to reveal himself to us where we'll call upon him and eventually he will deliver us and we will honor him and glorify him. Look at the last verse of Psalm chapter 50. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me to one who orders his way rightly. I will show the salvation of God. So the Lord wants a sacrifice of praise. This is what the Bible teaches in the book of Hebrews that through Christ we are to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips which give thanks to the Lord. How can we do that in the middle of trouble? Well, it takes the understanding of who God is and what God's purpose for our lives is to bring honor and glory to Him, to live a life that's centered in Him, trusting Him, watching Him work, especially in the difficulties of life. Quite frankly, apart from trouble, you and I would never grow into Christ-likeness. Nobody likes, nobody wants to volunteer. I've mentioned that already, like Peter. I wouldn't like to volunteer for crucifixion, nor would you. We don't like to do that, but what we need to understand, when we follow Christ, we're going to have moments like this. These men were following Christ. When they got in the boat, they were obeying the Lord. Let's think about our problems as we conclude this morning. What what is your problem? You know it. You may have multiple problems. We have to give our problems to Him. We need to cry out to Him and ask Jesus to minister to us. We need to give our sinful lives to Him. If I may, very quickly, let me tell you what happened after our worship service last night. Afterwards, a young man came to me. He'd been brought here by a friend of his from Las Cruces. And he came to me, and he began to tell his story to me. He said, I need to know Jesus, he said. And he said, I don't know much about Jesus, but I know I need to know Him. He said, I'm addicted. I have tried to be sober on my own. I have failed. He's 24 years old. He says, I'm at the end of my rope. He said, there's like this emptiness in my life that is aching and I cannot find a way to fill it. And he began to go on and talk about all the different ways he had tried to fill, tried to fill up the emptiness. And I went through the gospel with him in the book of Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he didn't even really know what sin was. I said, he said, what is sin? And then we went to the book of Exodus and quickly looked at what the Ten Commandments say in a brief explanation. He said, I've done that one, and I've done that one, and I've done that one after every one I gave almost. He said, I'm guilty of that. And then we looked at what the Bible says in Romans. God shows His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that made an impact on His life. Then we looked at another verse which says, The wages of sin is death, speaking of eternal separation from God. Spiritual death. He began to think about that. And the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, how do I do it? He wanted to pray to receive Christ. I mean, he was ready. And we looked at Romans 10, 9 and 10. We saw where the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin 
And if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. And we talked a little bit more. I wanted to make sure you understood what it means to repent of your sin, to turn away from running your own life in favor of God's controlling your life. And He gave His life to the Lord last night. And He is a man who exchanged a life. And we talked about sin. I said to him, his name is Jake. I said, Jake, you have, in your own heart, no, you have sinned a lot. But do you know, you're no more in need of forgiveness than someone who may have grown up in church and not done any big sins. We're all in the same boat. We need the Lord. So the biggest problem we have is us. We're, we're our biggest problem, really. I'm not trying to minimize other problems that you deal with. Maybe you have a terrible job. And you need the Lord to give you not another job, but patience in that job to learn what He's trying to teach you in that job. And when the opportunity comes for a new job, go for it. But learn what He wants to teach you. You may have a lousy marriage. I'm sure there are people here today who have lousy marriages. And you're troubled deeply by the difficulty in your marriage. One of the things that's encouraged me to share with people before when their marriages are in such disarray is that the Apostle Paul says that he was under great pressure far beyond his ability to endure. Indeed, in his heart, he felt the sentence of death. And then he explains why. But this happened, that I might not rely on myself, but on God who raises the dead. Your marriage may be dead, but we have a God who raises the dead. I had a man come to me after the first service and he said, Pastor, my marriage is dead. But I want to believe the Lord to breathe life into it. And I said, I'm so sorry that you're having this to deal with. And I will pray for you and your wife to raise that marriage from the dead. You may have heartbreaking grief. You may have a terminal illness. You may have some kind of problem that I haven't even thought of that's bearing down upon you. Well, we give those problems to the Lord. And He will give us peace in exchange. Peace is the deliberate adjustment of my life to God's will. And it's God's will that you and I not worry. We're not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present our request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Peace and panic are incompatible, just as faith and fear don't mix. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Cease striving and know that I am God. Let go and know that I am God. Drop your hands and know that I am God. Let God take over. As I finish this morning... I want to share a summary statement that I read probably 40 years ago almost now from a book by a man named Ray Steadman related to this passage of Scripture. This is what he said. This is good. Remember this. As long as Jesus is in the boat, 
The boat won't sink and the storm won't last forever. Is Jesus in your boat? See, in your life, the boat's not going down and the storm is not going to last forever. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him or her from them all. So, if you've got some trouble, understand the Lord's knowledgeable of your trouble. He's powerful to change you first. That's, that's important for us to get. To change you in the middle of your trouble. To be more like Him. And then, He'll eventually change your circumstances. They'll be more bearable. Even in the middle of the storm, they'll become bearable. Because of the Lord's presence in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we confess to You that we have bothered You and disturbed You. We have not had the faith in You that we need to have in the middle of the storm. And we ask You, Lord, we cry out to You, Lord, to take these things that are bothersome to us, that are weighing us down, that are killing us, Lord. They're weighing us down so heavily, these problems. And we want to give ourselves to You first. And we want to trust You. We want to believe You, Lord, when You say what You say. We know You're incapable of lying. You would not deceive us. We want to claim the promises of Your Word. Thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.